Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Wow. Well, thank you for that kind welcome, Mike. Young man, I could get used to that. We could keep saying that. That would be all right. Um, Let me go ahead and pray for us here before we get started. Christ alone. Lord, I look forward to that day, that day when we will get to stand before your throne dressed in white, the white that has been given to us as a gift with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. As Mike mentioned, my name is Patrick Smith, and I've actually called Grace Covenant Church home for the past 25 years. I have a confession to make, though. When we first moved here, I was eight or nine years old, and I moved from the Pacific Northwest. And when we arrived in Austin, keeping in mind that Austin then is not what Austin is today, we found it a little um, weird. Yeah. It was. And, you know, coming from the Pacific Northwest, the place of tall, snow-capped mountains and and incredible evergreen trees, there was a lot to get used to here in Austin. You know, we'd look outside the window and be like, what are these things that you call trees? These are not what… You don't even know what they are. Cedar? They're like some sort of juniper tree, but you call them cedar trees? What is this? And hill country. Hill country. Yeah, nice, cute little hills. We appreciate that. And uh, don't even get me started on Austin Summers, this hot, humid oven that you guys seem to want to go out and play in. I I just… It only took me about 10 years to acclimate and finally settle in. And I remember it really clearly. It was actually at a Grace Covenant youth camp. I was sitting outside in Kerrville looking around going, you know… It is actually kind of pretty here. What do you know? That 10 years meant a lot in my life because I went from thinking that Austin was weird and that this was a temporary stop, all the other places that we'd ever lived, we'd never stayed for more than a couple years at a time. I was a true nomad to waking up one morning and discovering I had a home. It was here. It was with you all. Grace Covenant Church, people that I'd lived with, served with, laughed with, cried with, that I'd discovered had a deep, deep love for Jesus, and to my surprise, they somehow like me too. It was an amazing thing. But just about that time, just as I was starting to get settled in and finally had found a place that I could call home, the Lord did something very strange, as He is wont to do. He told me that He wanted me to leave. He wanted me to go somewhere else. In fact, he revealed that he wanted me to go to some place that had strange customs, where the people are not like the way that they are here in Austin, Texas. He wanted me to go to Texas A&M. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get that reaction every time, right? It's always a uh, kind of a scary thing to bring up with an Austin crowd. You get the happy people and the not happy people. But I survived, and in fact, one of the things that I discovered during my time at Texas A&M was that anytime you take a step of faith and you obey the Lord, it's not calling you away from something good to something bad. He's actually upgrading you. And I found a church home, Grace Bible Church at Texas A&M, where my faith was challenged and where I was challenged to grow. I got really excited about seeing what God was doing around the world. 
and it led me to make a very rash promise. I told the Lord, and I was at a conference, and I was all hyped up, but I told him, Lord, I will go anywhere. I will do anything, but smartly, or so I thought, I put a time limit on it. I said, I will go for one year, which is how I ended up in China for a decade. It was an upgrade, absolutely an upgrade. I found a career that I love. I went into marketing. I found the love of my life. It took her a little while to discover that she was the love of my life, but I found her, got married, had three kids, my three beautiful children, all born in China, and also discovered a people and a culture that I love, a language that's incredibly intricate that God has placed redemptive analogies into that He wants us to unearth, and, and food... I literally would probably have to be pulled off the stage if I spent all the time talking about uh, my passion for Chinese food, its length and breadth. But the bigger thing was that as my time in China went on, my world began to shrink, and my view of God's church grew bigger. You guys got closer, and my understanding of what God is doing in the world got a lot bigger. Did you know that in China… There are more evangelical believers at a rough estimate than there are in the United States of America. That was a surprise to me. An amazing thing to find, a mature, vibrant group of people that love the Lord who just happen to speak a different language and live in a different place. Amazing. So four years ago, we were called home, and I use home as a rather complicated term because by that time we'd been tossed and turned and didn't know where home really was. But it was a little bit of a hard thing for us to think about coming back here to Austin, Texas, because we'd spent so long in China. We had deep roots there. And yet, because of the connection that we have with the people here, you guys, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. You see, we had an advocacy team, a group of people that were committed to praying for us and loving us and living and and crying and laughing, even from a distance, sometimes even coming and visiting us, friends and family. And that made it a lot easier when two years ago we actually moved back here to Austin, Texas. And let me tell you, it has been the hardest thing that we've ever done. Uh, Making an international move with three small children is never going to be a picnic. But at the same time, the thing that has really eased our hearts as we've been here is you all, our partners in the gospel. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about partnership in the gospel, what it looks like and what it means or what happens when that, when that partnership takes place. We're going to be looking at that through Paul's letter, a letter that he wrote to his dear friends at the church at Philippi. He wrote this letter from prison, and it's amazing. If you read the entire letter, which I urge you to do, he, the warmth, the affection, the depth of his relationship with that church is a really remarkable thing. So that's what we're going to look at today. What does it look like when you are partners with someone in the gospel, even if they're far away from you? And how can we do that today from Austin, Texas? So let's start by taking a look at what Paul says, and I want you to pay close attention to the words that describe what this relationship is like. We're going to put Philippians 1, 3 through 4 up on the screen. It says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. It almost reminds me of a Willie Nelson song, Always on My Mind. 
That's how Paul felt about these people. They were always on his mind. They were so close to him in his thoughts. They kept coming up. The strength of that bond, it was constant. It was continual. He continues on a couple of verses later in, in Philippians 1, 7 through 8, and says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of me with grace, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He held them in his heart. That's how they were connected. They were connected heart to heart. I almost picture Paul opening a little locket that has a picture of his friends at the Church of Philippi and just gazing at it and remembering them. He even says, God is my witness, as he's describing this. It's as if Paul, the consummate wordsmith, has run out of words. He can't actually come up with a good way to describe exactly how it is that he feels for them. And so he has to go, look, I swear to you, I will go to the highest authority to tell you how deep this is. I'm going to go to God himself and let him describe to you how close that connection is. It's a deep, deep affection. And at the same time, there's an edge of something, an edge of bittersweet. That word yearn, how he yearns to be with them, it's an interesting word. It's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. But Jesus himself uses that word when he's talking to his 12 closest friends on the night that he's betrayed as they're eating the Last Supper, about to eat the Last Supper together, and he says to them, guys, do you know how much I've wanted, how I've yearned to eat this supper with you? That's how much Paul wants to be with his friends in that church. He's paying a price. It's hard. There's an edge of that bittersweet. So, to sum that up, we have a constant, continual connection. He's always remembering them, a deep affection and yet there's that edge of bittersweetness because he can't be with them right then in that time and in that space. The result of this bond in Paul's case is as he remembers them, he's always praying for them, right? And as he prays for them, the end of his prayer is kind of what I would have expected. He prays that they would grow, that their love would continue more and more. He's thinking about them and wanting them to, to mature and to grow up. But it's where he starts his prayer that's kind of fascinating to me. He starts with, every time I remember you in my prayer, I give thanks for you. Tells you a little bit about how he sees them, doesn't it? He sees them as a gift, God's good gift to Paul. And he gives thanks for them because they are a gift to him. If I were to leave you with only one thing from today, it would be you try that. I dare you. Start thanking God for someone. See what it does to your relationship. In Paul's case, the fruit of that prayer, the fruit of that thanksgiving is joy. Elation, exhilaration, exuberance, glee. Paul is thrilled. He thinks about them. He remembers them. He thanks God for them. And the fruit of that is joy. This connection between Paul and the church actually reminds me a little bit of a story that I read my youngest daughter. It's called The Invisible String. The story actually begins with a mom who's sitting in her living room. He, she's got two little twins who are in bed. 
The twins are woken up when there's a giant thunderstorm. And what do they do? Of course, they come out into the living room. Mom, mom, they're coming out and they're really scared. Mom, you're not with us. We need to be with you. The thunder woke us up. And the mom, who's rather smart, says, I don't need to be with you because I'm going to show you something really cool. Did you know that there is an invisible string that stretches from my heart to yours? You're not ever far away from me. The kids are a little bit taken aback at that. They're looking around. Well, what? we can't see it. So they start to test it. The boy looks at her and says, well, what if I were to become a submarine captain and go to the bottom of the ocean? How, where's your invisible string then, huh? Mom goes, no. Even then, you would still be connected to me. The girl, touch of glee in her voice, what if I were to become a ballerina in France? Nope. Even then, the mom hastens to assure her, we will still be connected by that invisible string. And then the author does something brilliant. Changes the mood. The kids get somber. What about when you're mad at us? Actually shows a picture of a broken cookie jar. What about then? Where's your invisible string then, mom? And it's like the mom knew, knew that they were going to ask that question because she's ready for them. And with a smile on her face, even then, not even when I'm mad, can that string ever be broken. One author that I was reading when talking about this passage, he says, it's not so much a string that is connecting Paul and this church. It's an indestructible steel cable made out of grace. That's how he was connected. That's how he felt about these people. It's a connection that is made stronger by thankfulness and joy. Now, that connection is really important. Um, Today, I want to actually talk a little bit about uh, what happens when we choose to partner with people and what God actually does with that, because he has a plan to use those people in our lives to shrink our world and to make our church bigger. God has this really funny habit. He seems to like to send people places. We see this actually all throughout the Scriptures. We see Him send Abraham to a new place. We see Him send Jonah. We see Him send Philip. We see Him send Paul. And last but most certainly not least, we see Him send His own Son from heaven to dwell among us. God sends people. In fact, did you know that the word missionary means sent ones? It's one of the things that God does. You know, you might ask the question, why? Why does He do that? Why can't we stay with the people that we have this strong connection with? And I think the best answer to that is to actually look at the plan that God has for the entire world. He gives us a commission in the book of Matthew where Jesus spends some last few minutes with His disciples, and He tells them, look, You're going to go. You're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. If he was standing with us at the top of Mount Bunnell, it would be like he was saying, you're going to go from Austin to Waco to Dallas, even to, you know, Europe or Africa or Asia or other places. To what end? Well, we're to make disciples. Why? At the end of time, 
that multitude of people dressed in Christ's righteousness alone, when that trumpet sounds, that group of people will be made up of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation on the earth. That's what he's doing. When we choose to become partners in the gospel, it has some consequences for us. The first of those consequences is that our perspective definitely begins to change. It challenges who we think our neighbor is. People that we don't know and don't want to know start becoming people with names and families and stories. We begin to see the world and see those people perhaps a little bit more like God Himself does. We also begin to see that this big work of the gospel is not our work. It's the work that His Spirit is constantly doing. We may not see it all the time, but His Spirit is constantly doing this. Can I bring the Holy Word of God to a group of people who can't even read, that don't have a language, a written language? Can I bring the Holy Word of God to people who actively hate hearing the name of Jesus? Can I bring the Holy Word of God to a group of cynical, post-Christian, Western Europeans? No, I can't. But God's Spirit is actively doing those things, and we get to partner with His Spirit as He does those things. It's at the point where our perspective begins to change, and we begin to realize that He's the one doing the work, that that great big world out there starts to get smaller. It gets closer, like it's next door. We start to understand that God is doing the same work in Timbuktu that He's doing in Temple, and that is a really cool thing to see. The other consequence of partnering in the gospel is that our church begins to grow. I think we intellectually all understand that the church is massive, right? There's lots and lots of people that believe in Jesus. But it's one thing to know the facts, and it's another thing to experience them. I used to have a creative writing teacher who would tell me, Patrick, look, I don't want you to tell me about the room. I want you to show me the room. Well, that's a lot easier to uh, uh, say than it is to do, but that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us all of the time. And He uses the people that we partner with to do that, to show us the huge work that He's doing, the amazing, beautiful, intricate, unfathomably large work that He's doing in His bride, the church. One way that we can think about this is it's a little bit like understanding a nice piece of trivia, right? Okay, so the tallest building in the world is the Burj Khalifa. You guys may have seen it. Uh, It's featured in a lot of recent movies, that kind of thing. It is 2,717 feet tall. That's a pretty tall building, right? But what does that mean? Can you feel how tall that is? Well, let me try to help you understand how tall that is by connecting it to something that you do know, the Frost Bank Building here in Austin, Texas. Okay, you guys have seen this building. Frost Bank Building is the third tallest building in Austin, Texas, but maybe one of the most distinctive, one of the big landmarks that's here in our city. If we go back to that picture of the Burj Dubai, though, Burj Khalifa, I want you to look for something. Look for the little white building that's behind the Burj. We've got a nice little red arrow pointing to it there. 
That building is Plaza Tower number one. It's 40 feet shorter, or 40 feet taller, excuse me, than the Frost Bank building here in Austin, Texas. So that little building that's kind of cowering there behind the Burj Khalifa, that's the Frost Bank building plus two of your homes stacked on top of it. Can you imagine that monster crouched here in the, uh, in the Austin skyline, what that would look like? God uses things that we do know, people that we know, to help us to experience things that we don't know. And that's where that partnership comes in. He uses the people that we are connected to with that indestructible steel cable made out of grace to show us what he's doing in this world. You know, I don't just want to tell you, though, how God is going to shrink your world and how he's going to grow your church. I want to give you some practical things that you can actually do this, uh, do, uh, uh, do in order to do this. I would like you to start with loving our missionaries. Our missionaries are a really amazing group. Um, they're smart. They're funny. A little odd at times, but aren't we all? Uh, but uh, and, and for a couple of years ago, I couldn't have actually said this because it would have been uh, bragging on myself. But now that I'm a former missionary, I can say this. You want to know these people. You want your kids to know these people. These are incredible role models, people that they can look up to who have simply taken a step of obedience to do what God has asked them to do. And we're going to talk today about three different things that you, to, you can do to connect and partner with them in the gospel, how you can get to know them, how you can give and what that means, and how you can pray for them. But before I tell you about that, I want to go ahead and throw an email address up on the screen, thomas at grace360.org. Remember that email address or write it down. This is the man, if you are interested at all in what Grace is doing, partnering uh, in global outreach, um, that, that you want to get in touch with. If you're interested in anything, send this man an email. So first of all, partnering can look like getting to know uh, the people that were already out there. Uh, you can start with that at grace360.org, our website, and go to the global outreach page. On the global outreach page, there's a ton of information. Don't get overwhelmed with that. If you want to choose just one thing to do, I would tell you go take a look at the advocacy teams page. Advocacy teams, I mentioned earlier, are that group of people that commit to support and be connected to a single missionary or their family. That is an incredibly significant connection. I can say that from personal experiences, having done that on both sides of the ocean. What an incredible opportunity, and it is such a huge help for our missionaries to be connected this way to people back home. You can also learn more about what's going on our global outreach program through our global outreach newsletter. If you go to the bottom right-hand side of our website, out there, you can actually sign up for any of the Grace news, e-newsletters, but there's one specifically for global outreach that goes out every two to four weeks. Great way to get to know what's going on in all the different corners of the world. Not only can you know, though, you can also give. Now, I don't know if you know this, but at Grace Covenant Church, one of the things that's important to understand is that we usually do not fully fund all of our partnerships from the church itself. We, on purpose, leave space for you to get involved with your financial gifts because we understand that where your funds are, there your heart is also, and we want your hearts in those places. 
You can actually give in a couple of different ways. First of all, we do have these envelopes. They're in the back, actually, at the, uh, uh, the offering boxes in the back. And on there, there's an option for global outreach. If that's something that you want to do, if you want to send a little piece of your heart to another part of the world, that's a fantastic way to do it. You can also do it online through the website. Um, and there's an option there for giving to global outreach as well. Last but certainly not least, you can pray. It's a great opportunity. Pray and thank the Lord for these people like Paul did for his friends in the church at Philippi. You'll receive the reward of joy. It's a big, big deal. Now, that email address, toms at grace360.org, if praying is something that you think would be a great place for you to start, email him because he has a Partners in Prayer publication that comes out about once a month that goes into specific details about what our missionaries are doing, what they are happy about, what they're sad about, what's been difficult, what's been great. And that's a marvelous way not only to get to know them, but also to specifically start a conversation with the Lord. And man, what that will do for your connection to that part of the world, it's a marvelous, marvelous thing. Partnership in the gospel, it's easy to get started. You can know, you can give, you can pray. But speaking of prayer, I want to leave you with a very special gift. As a former Grace Covenant missionary, I understand very well how our missionaries feel about you all. But I don't just want to tell you about it. I want to show you. Dear Grace Covenant Church, We thank our God every time we remember you. Always. 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 In every prayer of ours. For you all. We pray with joy. Why? Because you are our colleagues. Our friends. Our supporters. Our family. Our partners in the gospel. The incredible good news. You know why we feel this way about you? Because we are in this together. Connected by an invisible, unbreakable rope of grace. You're with us in the fight. In the triumphs. In the setbacks in the living out of the gospel. We yearn to be with you, just like Jesus does. Amen. Small world, big, big church. I hope that you've gotten just a taste, just a taste of the marvelous, joyous future that God has for us together as partners in the gospel. Lord, thank you so much for your great love for us, that you wouldn't stay at home, but you would send your own son to live among us so that one day we can be together with you. Lord, we look forward to that day and pray it comes soon. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.